Hi, Scott and John here. Yeah, folks, the world is fast approaching the end game, and we are trying to expose the upcoming deception before time runs out. We want to make this a full-time goal, and we need your support to fight the satanic global elite. So here's how you can help. Subscribe to the new Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast to listen to every episode ad-free. Plus, get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to a new community forum. Sure. So just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com or you can click the uh, link in the show notes to get started today. Thanks again. Welcome to Bible Mysteries. You're listening to episode number 22, The Masonic Order, Part 1. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? Are you ready to take the red pill? And now, here are your hosts, Scott and Zena. Hello and welcome to Bible Mysteries Podcast, the show that teaches you the things in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. I'm Scott Mitchell and I'm here with... Zena. And Zena, thank you for being here today. Of course. It's always good to have you and we're glad that you're listening today. Uh, we are going to talk about something a little strange today, the Masonic Order. Ooh, what is that? Well, the Freemasonry is an organization and most people might know friends or family members that are actually members of the Masons. Uh, but what we'll find out is it's a much older organization than most people realize. And there's a civic fraternal side of it that most people know of. And then they have some strange, mysterious things they do that doesn't seem like it's any big deal. But what we're going to find out is it goes far deeper than that. And there is a higher upper level that is very satanic and very occult. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, most of the major leaders of the world, whether they've been political leaders or business leaders or financial leaders, have all been Masons. Really? Yeah, all, all the way back to like even George Washington was a Mason. My Lantas. Yeah, so we're going to find some interesting things about that today, hopefully. And actually, I think there's so much information that we're going to cover today that we're going to probably make this a two-part series. Okay. And speaking of parts, remember our interview with Ryan uh, Peterson of The Judgment of the Nephilim? His new book is just about to be released. Really? So, fingers crossed. Uh, it's going to come out soon, and I'm going to be able to get him back on the show, and we can talk to him again. That would be exciting. Yeah, he's got a follow-up to The Judgment of the Nephilim, which I think is going to be called The Final Judgment of the Nephilim, if I'm not mistaken. So he did sort of a little uh, podcast YouTube uh, meet and greet thing, and mm -hmm. I was able to join him, and we were able to ask questions. So it was really good. He's really good. <laughs> he's a good speaker. And then I'm reaching out to some other names. Uh, there's a... Uh, there's a man that has a ministry up in uh, Oklahoma called Prophecy Watchers. His name is Gary Stearman. And he's got a lot of good expertise about UFOs. Really? So we're going to try to get him over here, too. So reaching out nice. to some other guests. <laughs> and, you know, as Zena mentioned several times uh, each time we end a podcast, you know, if you've got uh, comments or suggestions to share, please send those. Because if you've got ideas or topics, we'd love to know yes. what's on your mind. So let's dive into the Masonic order, okay? And to do this, as always, we're going to try to focus as much attention on Scripture as we can, because we're called Bible Mysteries. So you can't always equate modern things to a verse of Scripture, but we can look at the history mm -hmm. of the Bible, and we can find the types and the symbols. And we're going to be looking at a lot of symbolism today. So we're going to start with man's rebellion against God, 
with a city. And you're going to recall that taking place at the Tower of Babel. Remember, we discussed that not too long ago. We did. And we talked about a guy that we kind of joked about, his name Nimrod. Yes. <laughs> Which we thought was just sort of a goofball when you're talking to someone right. calling him a Nimrod. But he was the mighty hunter before the Lord. And in Genesis chapter 10, verse 8, we read that Cush, who was a son of Ham, who was a son of Noah, begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. So we talked about Babylon, Babel, mm -hmm. which meant confusion, yes. right? And so there was, uh, you, you see several signs already in the Bible that something wasn't right, because here he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, and his name literally means rebellion. Right. So he was sort of the rebel against God. The indication seems to be that this was the time when the earth was of one voice and one language, and they were all united, and he sort of led this rebellion. He could have been a Nephilim, he could have been a part giant, whatever. Uh, we don't know for sure, but he's, he was renowned, mm -hmm. and he had uh, a kingdom. Several cities were the beginning of his kingdom, but Babel being the first and most prominent. And he seems to be a type of Satan and Antichrist in his rebellion against God. Now, why did he rebel again? You know, we're not given the specifics, but I believe when we search out what happened in Babylon, and we looked at a little bit of this before, so we're going to read the verse again, but not go into the great detail. But I believe it was their attempt to get attention of the sons of God, mm -hmm. the fallen angels, to come back to give them, maybe they were going to offer their wives again or something in order to exchange for the knowledge. Okay. They wanted that wisdom of this supernatural other dimensional beings. Very you know, true. They probably thought we're star people or <laughs> gods yeah. or whatever, but in fact, we're the fallen angels. So it was something that God had to stop, mm -hmm. and he wouldn't have stopped it if it was good. Very right? true. I mean, God gave us a brain. He wanted us to discover and explore and create, but according to his will and glory, not according to rebellion. Very true. So that brings us to the Tower of Babel, since that was the beginning of Nimrod's kingdom in chapter 11 of Genesis, verse 1. And we'll read the story again just shortly for our listeners. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And we talked about Shinar. It's the same as Mesopotamia, mm -hmm. the land between the rivers, and it's where Babylon was established. And they said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly, or, you know, through and through. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And the slime was probably something that was referred to as bitumen, which is like a tarry substance, okay? And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now, why were they concerned about being scattered abroad? You know, if that was the purpose of the city, you have to ask the question, what did they know? And when did they know it? Yeah. <laughs> How did they know? So the indication must have been because they knew they were doing something wrong, God was going to stop it. Or there's also the possibility that back in the day, before there was scripture, God could communicate to men through the stars. You know, the constellations, and you can yeah. look up and see things, and maybe men could read those stars. They could see far more of them than we can today mm -hmm. with all the light pollution and 
very, things yeah. like that, you know. And we're going to read a verse in the book of Romans later that talks about when men turned away from God, even though they could see and know him. So there was some way in which God revealed himself to mankind, and they chose not to follow him. Really? Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's a turning point. I, I believe it coincides with this period here because when he divided and scattered the nations, we're going to read some verses that are going to show sort of the reason behind it mm-hmm. and what his intent was, why he did it and why he did the way he did it. So we'll see if that has something to do with this, because I think this is going to tie in, as we'll see soon, that the Masonic order wants to pick up where Nimrod left off and bring a unified new world order and bring it all together in rebellion against God. They better stop. Yeah, because when God broke them apart, Mm -hmm. we're going to find out it was so that they could seek him. And Satan is always trying to stop God's plan. Yes. So he's trying to cause them to be blinded to him. Okay. So they built the tower, and then the Lord came down in verse 5 to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And the people is one, meaning they were unified, like uh, out of many one, Mm -hmm. e pluribus unum, the modern of the United States. Yes. Right? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Which... There is a Masonic influence in the founding of this nation, even though there were well-meaning Christians who fled persecution from Europe and came to have freedom, and that's how America was originally designed. Once people got established here, there's always money powers that like to get involved, and they interfere, and they want to control. So that's who probably helped in formulating the United States. Even though it was built on Christian principles, they knew how to add a little bit of poison to the food to make it like rat poison, which is 10% poison and 90% nutritious food. Wow. <laughs> so Satan knows how to use his devices, right? Yes. But they, but it says, the Lord said, behold, the people is one. They have all one language and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. So that word imagine we talked about before, the root is image mm-hmm. and images are idols. Yes. So something about their imagination was tied to idolatry, rebellion, not serving God, but serving the creature, right? Mm-hmm. So God said, go to, let us go down and there, confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth. And that stopped the building of the city. And then if we scroll down to verse 9 there in the same chapter, therefore is the name of it called Babel. Because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Now, it could just be me, and I'm drawing a wild connection there, but these people were building a city and a tower made of brick, and masons lay bricks. And the Masonic order, or the uh, or fraternal order of Freemasonry, mm-hmm. claims their beginnings were from the guilds of stone cutters and stone layers that built many castles centuries and centuries ago, and uh, the 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 Gothic cathedrals of Europe and things yeah. like that. So, by their own uh, admission in their history, they claim that to be the case. So here we. We're going to find that they do try to draw a lot of their symbolism from things in the Bible, but in a twisted way. So I think they're trying to hide 
the truth of what they're doing. So I mentioned the book of Romans. We're going to go to Romans, and we're going to now see that, to me, the timing of the scattering of men on the earth from this rebellion, whatever the act was, it was something God didn't want them to do. Uh, we read in the book of Romans when God said he did this, or, or description about sort of the act behind it, the reasoning behind it. In verse 20 of Romans chapter 1, it says, For the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen. You think, how is, how is something invisible clearly seen? Yeah. So it must be invisible things would be things about his nature, his character, his will, his purpose. He's invisible. You can't see God. Um, it says they were seen by the things that were made and understood, even his eternal power and Godhead. And the Godhead is a reference to the Trinity. So his eternal power and Godhead were understood and known by the people because there was a time when God could communicate to mankind, and in spite of that, they still rebelled against him. Yeah. And so it says they're without excuse. They, when they rebelled, it's not because they were ignorant or dumb or blind. They did it knowingly because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And there's that word again, right? Yeah. Imaginations. So they, why didn't they want God in their life? Well, if they were building the tower, as I believe, to draw the fallen angels back down to them, they wanted to worship those gods. They wanted that wisdom. See, God has a wisdom that he'll give us through his Holy Spirit if we believe on him. And there will come a time when we are in new bodies, in the new heaven and the new earth, when we will have access to the wisdom of God unfettered. You know, we'll be able to create, explore, and do all the things he originally planned for us to do. But men didn't want to wait on the Lord. They want, it's like we are impatient people, right? Yeah. I want it, I want it now, right? Very true. So I want wisdom, I, I want wisdom to have power and fame and wealth and glory and honor now, mm-hmm. instead of waiting and letting God have the honor and glory and let him give it to those who serve him. Yeah. So you can see why men want to shortcut the circuit. And it kind of comes back to the story we often repeat about Luke chapter 4 when the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness and he told him, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Christ, even though he is God, he was in the body of a man for the purposes of dying and he would rather have waited to receive the glory and the kingdom from God after he fulfilled God's purpose than abandon that and have the kingdom and the glory now that Satan would offer him, which was in rebellion against God. Yeah. So it's the same pattern always over and over again. Satan tries to circumvent God and give man, hey, sign the dotted line, sign your name Mm -hmm. in blood, right? (laughs) And I'll give you riches and wealth and glory. And we're going to find out that that pattern repeats to this day for the ultra wealthy, for the ultra famous. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get into it. We briefly talked about it a few weeks ago, but the one I sign. Yes. Remember this and this, you know, all that. Well, we're going to find out that that is so prevalent in media and culture today. It can't just be accidental that so many people use the same symbols, the same uh, symbolism. And, you know, why, you know, how boring if all the photographers are having models and actors and celebrities pose the exact same way all the time. At first you go, okay, they don't have a creative bone in their body. 
Yeah. They must just all repeat. So it can't be because they don't want to be unique and different and distinct because they all do. Mm-hmm. Why are they all repeating the exact same thing? There must be something to it. It's symbolic. Yeah. They're being told to do this. And it's a way for the controlling global elite to say to you, I own this person. Their career is in our hands. We tell them what to do. That is extremely scary. It is very scary. It gets worse. It's it's, (laughs) going to get a lot worse. So anyway, back in this passage in Romans, uh, they were without excuse. They wouldn't glorify him as God. They became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Once you turn from the truth, Satan can blind you to the rest, and he convinces you that the lie is the truth. So Paul writes and says, professing themselves to be wise, men that rejected God, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So we're talking about idols, right? Mm -hmm. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. So when it says he gave them up, God said, all right, fine. You don't want to serve me? Go. Go worship these other gods, and he gave them up to be controlled and ruled over by the fallen angels. There's only one nation that God presided over, and that was Israel. Mm -hmm. Because he called one man who would honor him with faith, and ultimately that was Abraham. And from Abraham came Israel, and Israel became the people of God. Now, they turned and rebelled against God, too, which is proof of how bad man's nature is. Yeah. But he gave them chance after chance after chance, demonstrating the long-suffering of God. Now, the truth is, it didn't mean the rest of the nations, what we would call Gentiles, didn't have access to God. They always did. And they could have come to God through his people or through some other mechanism that would lead them to the truth if they would accept it. Mm-hmm. We're going to find that in just a moment. But the idea here is the princes of this world, the fallen angels, the prince of Persia, the prince of Grecia, we learned a little about those. Well, Israel had a prince too, but he was one of God's angels, and his name was Michael, the archangel. Oh, He's the prince of Israel. As long as they would obey the Lord, their prince protected them. But when they rejected him, God said, Michael, go take a break. And the walls came down, so to speak, the hedge of protection around Israel. And nations would be led to come attack them and defeat them with examples of Babylon conquering them and carrying them captives for 70 years, you know. My goodness. Throughout scripture. So we see a pattern here of the way angels operate. You know, God's angels do what God says, and Israel has a protective angel named Michael. When they disobeyed, Michael's protection was put on hold. The rest of the nations followed the other angels, but they're the fallen ones under Satan's command. Mm -hmm. So principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places control the nations today, and including Israel today because they are right now not God's people specifically from the scriptural perspective. You know, there's a political nation there today, modern Israel, Mm -hmm. but are they God's chosen people right now? I don't believe so because they deny Jesus as the Christ. And if if the nation of Israel is not a believer in Messiah, how could they be God's people when Christ is God's son, right? Mm -hmm. So God gave them up 
to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So the creature being that which is created. The creature in particular would be Satan. Yes. Through whatever mechanisms that he uses. Mm -hmm. And for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. So the vile affections turn into what man sort of represents today. You've ever heard the story of Pandora's box? Yes and no. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm trying to It's a Greek mythology. Yeah. Right. So you've probably heard it or heard about it. Yeah, I think I heard about it, but I'm not so familiar with it. Supposedly, she was like the first woman on the earth, so she was sort of like an Eve, if you will, you know, in Greek mythology. Okay. And uh, there was a box that had all the sins locked in it, and her curiosity got the better of her, and she wanted to unlock it and open it to see what was in it, and she let loose all the sin of the world, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I guess it's sort of a mythological adulteration of the story in the Garden of Eden, mm -hmm. in a sense, because Eve was the one that convinced her husband to take the fruit, you know. Very true. But he still held accountable for the sin because he should have led his wife. Mm -hmm. You know, she was part of him. She, They should have been equal and he should have protected her, but he didn't. So uh, in that sense, though, when you think about the vile affections, it goes on just this long list of things that men would do because they didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. They were filled with unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, deceit. It's almost like the list of what was in the box. Yeah. Right? So it's it's the same idea. Even And, and even these ancient mythological stories from other cultures all have similar things. They all have an account of a flood. Mm -hmm. You know, like Noah. They all have an account of the beginning of sins yeah. and all that kind of thing. So God gave them up. He said, look, you don't want me. I'm not, I'm not going to force you. I'm going to let you go the way you want to. And when he gave them up, it didn't mean he wouldn't give them any hope. It just meant that he wasn't going to actively intervene with them anymore. He only actively intervened with Abraham to bring about the nation that would ultimately bring about the birth of Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. who would save all men. Right? Yes. So God had a plan the whole time. Now, the final passage to relate to this is in the book of Acts. And it's chapter 17, where Paul, the same guy that wrote this Roman letter here, was actually in Greece, in Athens, the birthplace of that story about Pandora. Yeah. Right? And they're completely given over to idolatry. You know, what people don't realize is before Christianity became a thing, the world worshiped idols. Mm -hmm. That's all they knew. Every god that you can imagine was the gods of all the Romans, the Greeks, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, everybody. And so... There was no hope in these religions. It was all a system of works-based thing, and there was, it was just satanic. Mm -hmm. You saw how wicked it got when they offered their children in the fire to Moloch. I know. Right? Horrible things came about that. So you could see the darkness that men were under through Satan's control. When the truth of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection became the means of redemption and salvation for man, and men began to preach it, it caught on like wildfire. Yeah. People turned left and right to the point that Satan and his minions were threatened. And so they began to persecute them. And the more they persecuted, the more the truth grew. Mm -hmm. Satan switched his tactics ultimately. But in the beginning, he tried to literally kill all the believers. And even Paul was one of those guys that persecuted the early church. Before he came a believer, he was the number one persecutor. 
Really? Isn't it funny that God called the worst guy, his number one enemy, to be the guy that would deliver the message of truth? <laughs> How ironic. I'm not sure everybody knows that. Paul, no, I didn't know that. Before Paul became the apostle that God chose, he was Saul of Tarsus, a Jew that was a Pharisee that hated Jesus Christ, persecuted people to death for believing in him. And he calls himself the chief of sinners. So he knew he was a bad guy. My and goodness. God said, I can even save the worst guy. Right? He's like, <laughs> And Look. called him to be the one that would bring the message of grace. So here's this Paul mm-hmm. in Athens seeing the city wholly given to idolatry. And he begins to speak to them. And he's, he, there was an image in all their idols and statues and things of one labeled the unknown God. And Paul took advantage of that. And he said, you know what? I'm going to tell you about him. So he goes on to talk to them almost like they were children because they don't know anything about God. Yeah. That's right. And so he's saying these things about them. And then he says in verse 24 of Acts 17, actually in verse 23, he says, whom you ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you. Let me tell you about this God, right? (laughs) God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. So he's kind of like fundamentals, right? Yeah. This is who God is. If he's God, he doesn't need this stuff, mm-hmm. right? And verse 26, he hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. That's the verse I use and Edwina King uses to prove that there's no races but the human race. Mm-hmm. We all have the same blood. The distinctions and the divisions of culture and language came about as a result of that rebellion. Yeah. It had nothing to do with anything else. And then he says, and he hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Hi, we hope you're enjoying the podcast, but I want to take a moment to remind you of something very important. There are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. And the world is fast approaching the end game, and we want to expose the coming deception before time runs out. Freedom of speech is under attack, and evil elements within governments and multinational corporations are trying to prevent you from learning the truth. Scott and I are being censored by social media platforms as we speak. This is true, so you can help us use the satanic global elite's own tools against them. Subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast so the controlled media can't shut us down. We can use our own platforms to help expose them and keep you informed. But to do that, we need your support. Help us to go full-time with Bible Mysteries. Just $7 a month gives you every current episode ad-free without these annoying appeals. You also get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to the community forum where we answer your questions. Just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to help us stop the assault on Christianity and free speech. And don't forget, you can always donate any amount to support us at utbnow.com. These gifts are tax deductible. Thanks again, and here's the show. Boundaries, bounds, habitation, dwelling. So in other words, when God scattered the nations, he put some people over here, he put some over here, put some over here, and the earth was literally divided to separate them for a while. So they weren't one people again. 
And remember, we kind of joked about at the Tower of Babel, let's pretend like if you and I were there working and we're talking the same language. Yeah. And your job is to do one thing and mine is another, but we work together. And suddenly God confounds the language and you're speaking Greek and I'm speaking French and we're looking at each other like, what are you yeah. saying? Do you think that's what happened? I do. I do. I think they literally couldn't understand each other at that moment. And as birds of a feather will flock together, you would have gone to look for people that speak Greek. Yeah. I would have looked for people that spoke French. Mm -hmm. And we would have congregated together. And however God did it, the nations were then divided. And you would have ended up with a bunch of people that knew the same things and right. spoke the same language, mm -hmm. suddenly in a region that you weren't even familiar with. <laughs> so true. And then you got to figure out how do we go on? Right. How do we build this? And that's why some cultures just emerge out of history, like the Egyptian culture, which had a fully formed architecture, language, writings, mm -hmm. religion, mathematics, you name it, you know. Yeah. And other languages like the Germanic tribes were wearing skins in caves. Mm -hmm. Maybe they didn't have any people that knew about writing or this or that. So you had these little stick figure paintings, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that kind of thing. And they ultimately evolved, so to speak, into a more understanding and a way to hunt and gather and mm -hmm. cultivate crops and things like that. So he did this for this reason. He said in verse 27 that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him. And the word haply is H-A-P-L-Y. It means it, it could happen. It might happen to chance they would find him. If they would seek him, they would feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. So he was letting them know the reason why we have nations and why they're separated is because God had to divide them so they could seek him. So there was always an opportunity for men to come to him. But that scattering and setting of the bounds of habitations was a result of the Tower of Babel and that rebellion. He had given them up to vile affections. They wanted to worship the other gods. Mm -hmm. But if they would seek him, he would honor their faith. And God always honors faith. Very true. So you can see how God had a plan to redeem mankind ultimately through Jesus Christ. But Satan always has a plan to unite humanity in rebellion against God. And that plan has not changed. To this day, it remains the same. And I believe the heart and instinct of the people from the Tower of Babel in the stone cutting that they were doing, the stone laying that they were doing, is the crux of what the Masonic Order is doing today. They are essentially trying to bring about the Tower of Babel. So we'll look at the parallels. You know, Satan wants to be God, right? Yes. We know that from the Bible. He imitates God, but he's an imposter. Mm -hmm. God has a city and a church, so we're going to look at that for just a moment, and then we're going to look at how Satan also has a city and a church, right? <sighs> <laughs> so God's city and church, we know, is the, the saints, mm -hmm. the believers, and New Jerusalem, right? So Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 11 is so-called great faith chapter, and we mentioned Abraham a few minutes ago. Well, Abraham, according to chapter, uh, chapter 11... Verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out, and he lived in Shinar, in, in Mesopotamia, right? Mm -hmm. He was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance. He obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. He didn't know where God was going to take him. By faith, he sojourned, he pilgrimed in the land of promise, Canaan, right? As in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, his son and grandson, the heirs with him of the same promise. And what is the promise? Verse 10. For he looked for a city 
which have foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So that starts to shed a little bit of light on what was this thing they were doing wrong at Babel. They were building a city and a tower. It wasn't God's city. No. Abraham predates Moses by 400 years. The law, uh, the, the forming of the nation Israel, all of that. He was the progenitor of all that. Mm-hmm. He looked for a city which have foundations whose builder and maker is God. How did he know there was a city? Yeah. You know, God must have told him. Maybe the invisible things were clearly seen and he believed it, right? Maybe Mm -hmm. God witnessed to him through the stars or something. But that city we know is New Jerusalem. And I mentioned God has a city and a church. Mm -hmm. Well, the church is the body of Christ. And Paul, again, returning to his writings in Ephesians chapter 2, wrote about that symbolically in these passages in verse 19. He was writing to Gentiles. So though he was a Jew... He's called the apostle of the Gentiles. So he, he was the main guy that got the message out to the nations okay. about Christ dying on a cross. And those who then believed on it, he says, now, therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners, meaning alien from Israel, alien from God's commonwealth. He says, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth up unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So I look at these construction terms, household, built, Mm -hmm. foundation, cornerstone, building, temple, habitation. They all are a picture of a dwelling place. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, God doesn't need a dwelling place, no. but he's going to dwell with men someday in the city that comes down. That's true. Right. Revelation chapter 21. And we don't have to read all of what we've kind of talked about before. Uh, it's when the city does come down. But in verse nine, we read uh, in Revelation 21, there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. Jesus is the lamb. And who's the bride? He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. So God's city, his temple, his edifice, ultimately, is the church in New Jerusalem, the bride the lamb's wife. So you can see that God's pictures, uh, his symbolism, if you will, is in the fact that there's a city one day. We, we talk about being built up for a habitation of God. We are his temple as a, as a group of believers, mm-hmm. but we're not a building. And yet when p- people are added to the church, it's called edifying. You edify the body of Christ. And an edifice is another word for building. Okay. Right? So think of a temple, an edifice, a building. We're God's building. We're his temple. And yet someday we'll dwell in the actual place that God has in heaven, the new Jerusalem, his city, big city. Remember, 1,500 cubic miles? I know. Gold streets, jewels around it, all that kind of stuff. It's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Tree of life in the middle of it, everything. We'll be there. We will dwell with him in that city when it comes down to the new earth. And, of course, there'll be people on the earth as well. So Satan, not to be outdone, has a city too. (sighs) He's like that annoying 
younger sibling that just wants to do everything you do. Exactly. And he's worse than annoying. So he, <laughs> he has a city, and his church is called the synagogue, which was the Jewish places of worship in the time of, of, of Christ. Uh, but um, it's, it's something bad because Daniel, if you notice Daniel chapter 1, back in the Old Testament, Israel was carried captive by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, mm -hmm. right? And in chapter 1, verse 1, we read, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem. And he besieged it, which means he, he broke through and he conquered it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. So Nebuchadnezzar didn't know God, didn't worship God. No. He worshiped his God. Worship and he Satan. brought the vessels of Jerusalem's temple mm -hmm. into the house of his God in Shinar. What was built in the land of Shinar? Babylon, right? Yep. So Satan's city is Babylon, both physically speaking and symbolically, because we know that there's a uh, mystery Babylon. Right? Mm -hmm. We talked about that a few weeks back. But there was another thing we also talked about in, in one of the Old Testament prophets in Zechariah. And you're going to remember the ephah and the, uh, the flying roll and all that kind of stuff, right? Which was that basket that was something was weird about it. Yes. And in verse 8 again, the angel is describing to Zechariah what this thing is, this ephah. And he said, this is wickedness. And he cast it into the midst of the ephah, and he cast the weight of lead upon the mouth thereof. Then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, there came out two women, and the wind was in their wings. They appeared to be some sort of angel, for they had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the ephah from between the earth and the heaven. Then said I to the angel that talked with me, Whither do these bear the ephah? Where are they taking it? And he said unto me, To build it an house in the land of Shinar, and it shall be established and set there upon her own base." So that house in the land of Shinar is going to be Mystery Babylon. And while the land of Shinar is physically different than the land of Israel, we talked about uh, the book of, uh, or, or the city uh, Mystery Babylon is actually going to be apostate Jerusalem, mm -hmm. right? So there's a connection. Israel was carried captive into Babylon. There's all these ties. And what's interesting is what came out of Babylon, when Israel was allowed to return back into the land, they rebuilt the temple of God. Ezra, Nehemiah are books in the Old Testament that catalog that. Mm -hmm. But there were a lot of Jews that didn't go back home. They stayed in captivity. They stayed in Babylon. And it became a center of their learning and culture for those Jews that didn't return. And their collection of writings that they wrote and, and uh, accomplished in Babylon is called the Talmud. And their rabbinical writings... When Jesus was on the earth and he was criticizing the Pharisees, he says, you transgress the law of God by your traditions. He was talking about the Talmud, which Jews today consider to be their authoritative writings instead of the Torah, which is the law of Moses, you know, the books of the law. My goodness. So they kind of count them together. And there are... Orthodox Jews that recognize that. There are some you know, Jews that do try to stay true. There's actually a group called True Torah Jews, right? But the Talmud is really a satanic book. 
And so the captive ones, they chose to stay. They chose. Okay. And, and we don't know all the reasons why, but I suspect part of it was because God knew there would be a mystery Babylon. Mm-hmm. And there would be something called the synagogue of Satan, right? Well, synagogue is a Jewish center. Yeah. Right? So when we go to Revelation chapter 3, we find out that there's some, just as Satan is God's imposter, Jews have imposters too. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 9, we read, um, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. So there's a synagogue of Satan. They're imposter Jews, right? Whoever they are, yeah. we don't know. But I think we could tie stuff like the Talmud back to them because from the Talmud and the Babylonian Jewish teachings comes the Kabbalah. Now, what is the Kabbalah? That's an occult Jewish religion of mysticism. People like Madonna follow it. Okay. And others like that. It's becoming more and more popular. Much of the symbolism they use is incorporated into the Masonic order, too. Yep. Scary. You're going to find a lot of the same symbolism. And then finally, in Revelation 17, we're going to go to um, that passage about Mystery Babylon, just to read the name of the city. Uh, John writes, so he, the spirit, uh, or, or the angel, he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Remember, we talked a bit about this. Mm-hmm. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. She's rich. Having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornications. And upon her forehead was the name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So this is Satan's city. He's got a church, his synagogue, those that say they're Jews that are not, but do lie. And I suspect anywhere you want to go, you're going to find those individuals in positions of high power. I don't mean Jews run the world. I'm not talking about (laughs) conspiracy theory. I mean, whoever Satan's people are, that's his church, that's his synagogue. He's got a city. It's the global elite. Yeah. I don't care what religion they claim to worship, right? Verse 18 of the same chapter simply says, And the woman which thou sawest is that great city, which reigneth over the kings of the earth. So Mystery Babylon, is the woman is a type or a picture of a city. Just as God's bride is the city, New Jerusalem, Satan has a harlot that is Mystery Babylon. It's a city. Now, all of this was a history to get into why I think the Freemasons are an occult organization trying to carry on the tradition of satanic teaching. Freemasonry describes itself as a beautiful system of morality veiled in allegory and illustrated by symbols. That's a definition from Wikipedia. Now, Wikipedia is, all the media is controlled by Satan. Yes. So you're not going to get truth from them, but they're going to disguise the truth with what they want you to know. Yeah. So this is their own words. So that looks good, doesn't it? Yeah. Wow, it's a beautiful system of morality, <laughs> veiled in allegory. So at least they're admitting there's a lot of symbolism. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're going to spend a lot of time with, mostly in the next podcast, okay. looking at the symbolism of Freemasonry. We're going to let them tell their story in their own words. And let's see how the Bible answers Yeah. That. You know, to be fair, right? And I get um, most of my um, information, terms, and definitions from their website, which is called the Masonic Fine, or MasonicFine.com. 
So it's M-A-S-O-N-I-C find.com. Uh, if you go to this website, it's a pro-Masonic thing. It's, it's not trying to say they're conspiracy or anything else. They, their words, their people describing what they do. Okay, so I just want people to know that's where I'm getting these symbols and definitions from. This site, MasonicFind.com, often describes symbols as types of Solomon's Temple and God's Mosaic Law. So what's interesting is they themselves claim that much of their allegory and symbolism is taken from the temple of God that Solomon built. Now, you remember us talking a little bit about Solomon in the past, right? Yes. He was the king of Israel. He was the son of David the king before him. David's mm-hmm. the one that killed Goliath, right? Yes. Okay. But was Solomon a good guy or a bad guy, do you recall? I recall he was bad. He was bad. He was good at first. Mm-hmm. God actually used him to build the temple, and he gave him great wisdom to do it. But you remember, we talked about at some point his heart was turned. Yes. And I'll read the passage again just for the sake of our listeners because we talked about him in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4. And we read, for it came to pass when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with God, the Lord God, as was the heart of David, his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites, Ammonites, excuse me. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, or Chemosh, the abomination of Moab in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the abomination of the children of Ammon. So he went and worshipped all these other gods. He becomes a type of Antichrist in his old age. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel. And so why would an organization admittedly claim that their inspiration is from Solomon's temple? And Solomon. Because they're satanic. They are. And I I think that, because you would think, oh, Solomon, he was a godly man. Oh, the law of Moses, that was a good thing Mm -hmm. that God gave them. Well, the Bible tells us clearly that God gave the law to Moses to give to the children of Israel, and the purpose of the law was not for them to keep. It was to show them that they can't keep it. Man thinks, I can do it. When when Moses read the law in the years of the people, they said, all things whatsoever God hath said, we will do. Yeah. And they had the law for 1,500 years and couldn't keep it. God used Paul to write that the law was given that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. When the law was read, they should have fallen on their knees and said, God, we can't do this. Yeah. We need a Savior. We need mercy. And it was to point them to Christ, ultimately. Mm-hmm. All the sacrifices that they did, the lambs and the blood and everything was a picture of Christ, right? But more importantly, Freemasonry is using the symbolism of Solomon's temple to say, this is what it represents to us. But the Bible says the temple represents something else. And Freemasonry doesn't acknowledge this. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, we read these words. Now, of the things which we've spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest, he's talking about Christ, who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, meaning the true priest is Jesus, the true sanctuary is heaven, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, 
a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. So though Moses was given instructions to build the tabernacle and Solomon was given instructions to build the temple, which was just the permanent tabernacle. Yeah. We're going to find out they were specific measures and instructions because it's a pattern of heavenly things. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man, Christ, have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. In other words, he's saying, Moses, you build this tabernacle exactly like I tell you. Yeah. With the exact measurements I'm going to give you because it's a picture of my heavenly tabernacle, right? Mm -hmm. The sanctuary of God. He says, the symbolism of the tabernacle was of a picture of heavenly things. And then he says, but about Jesus Christ, this high priest, but now he's obtained a more excellent ministry by how much he also is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better providence, promises, excuse me. So better covenant, better promises. A covenant is a contract. The Old Testament, old covenant. The Old Testament was the law of Moses. Yes. The New Testament, you've heard that word. Mm -hmm. The new covenant is the law of Christ. He's a better priest. Okay. Better sacrifice. That makes sense. Everything else. He's the mediator of a better covenant. Mm -hmm. If we're going to go back and say, these are symbols of the law and the temple that Solomon built, we're putting ourselves back under the bondage of the old covenant. Jesus Christ is the, the, the mediator of the new covenant, and masonry doesn't acknowledge him there. They want to go back under the old. Hence the ties to the Talmud, Kabbalah, Judaism, Synagogue of Satan, mm -hmm. all that's there, okay? So that's going to wrap up our history lesson for part one of the Masonic Order. Next week, we're going to get more into the symbolism. Mm. We had to go through that little history lesson to understand when we talk about the symbols why there's this connection, mm -hmm. why there's this pattern in the, in the past of what's coming in the future. So would you say... Basically, the symbolism is anything God makes, Satan makes, and it's just reversed. Almost, yeah, it's the opposite. Okay. He imitates God with a with a phony, with a with a yeah. deceptive like, imposter, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So we're going to go ahead and get into the symbols next week. I hope you'll tune in for part two. Yes. So do keep in mind, please subscribe, like, and share. And as always, comment down below something new that you've learned or something that you're interested that you want us to teach you. Please. We'd love to hear from you. And Zena, thank you for being here today. Of course, as always. As always. And we thank you all for listening. Hopefully we'll see you next week. Have a good one, guys. Thank you for listening today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Bible Mysteries and share it with a friend. If you want to learn more, you can go to Unlock the Bible Now. That's utbnow.com.
Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast. You can even gift a subscription to a friend. That's right. Remember, just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to join and help us expose the satanic global elite, or make a tax-deductible donation at UTBNow.com. We need your help to fight the global censorship of the truth. Thanks for your support.